0: All right, here we go. Quiet!
1: Quiet! Groove, Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me right now is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, you know him, you love him, you may sometimes get annoyed, but the shit he says, God knows I do. It's Rich Drees, everyone!
0: Wow, that's that's certainly an introduction, isn't it? Because sitting across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, contributing editor, my movie-making partner, one of my best friends on the whole planet, Aww. Natasha Boguts.
1: Give you blush, you now.
0: <laughs> How you doing?
1: I'm wearing a lot of pink
0: yes you are it's discerning it's (laughs) it's disconcerting excuse me wow you're not normally a pink girl you know what i'm saying
1: what am i a funny girl though
0: nah i see where you're trying to go with this This is the worst segue ever (laughs) you started
1: it i just jumped on it
0: i wasn't intending that to be the segue but okay let's get into it funny girl Barbara Streisand's Broadway debut
1: and a wonderful
0: what, film and a wonderful film. It launched her into her stardom
1: and got her an Oscar.
0: Mm-hmm. And amazingly, it's never been revived on Broadway for fifty years until just now with Smart's Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: it. It went into previews last night, mm-hmm. and it's not doing well. Mm. Um, I saw Ew's. Uh, article headlined was uh pretty much saying that it was a decent performance, but can't get past the miscasting in the center.
0: Ouch! Ouch! Yeah, it was Earth. like
1: they were like something about it. Uh, I think they said that doesn't have the shoes of Straysan.
0: Well, no one is able to step into the shoes of Streisand, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I think going with Beanie Feldstein is an interesting choice. Mm. And considering that Funny Girl is basically um, the life of Fanny Bryce, one of the first uh, Jewish comedians uh, on the vaudeville circuit. Yeah. And one of the biggest uh, from that era. She's a good choice because she's a funny lady. And you know, as an actress, she's you know she makes me laugh in Smart. and then in American Crime Story when she played she's Monica really Lewinsky, good. she was she's really good there. So she has the drama chops as well. So I'm I'm a little disappointed to hear that it's not doing well. Well, but then again, it's opening night of previews.
1: It is the opening night of previews. Of yeah, yeah. I'm not worried until I see the New York uh, New York Times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah once the times trashes it i mean and isn't it sort of like considered de classe or a little off limits to discuss review- the work before the opening before the actual opening to do a review during previews
1: um I, I i would consider that yes um i don't know if that's actually the rule or
0: not <laughs> I I don't know if it's a rule, but maybe an unspoken rule, a bit of gentlemanly code of conduct, perhaps. Please,
1: gentlemanly code of conduct died when the internet was invented.
0: That's true, too. And maybe, (laughs) maybe I should just kind of... uh, You were the
1: last of a dying breed.
0: (laughs) Thank you. But uh, I'm realizing that perhaps I might not be as um, innocent in this regard myself. Uh-huh. We ran a review of Book of Mormon during its previews, like the second weekend of while it was in previews. Mm-hmm. Because I saw it, I loved it, I ranted and raved about it, and I wanted to tell the world about it. Okay, it was a positive review, but, you know, should you only do positive reviews then? During a preview period, or during things like that. Or... Should you just well, even if it's even if it's positive, should you hold off and then do your review once the show officially opens?
1: I don't know. Um but I will say I the problem with Funny Girl. I've seen the show, I've seen the film, mm-hmm. um, I've seen plenty of local performances of it. Everyone has for the last fifty years, anytime there has been a production of Funny Girl, the lead always tries to recreate the voice and walk of Stracing. Mm-hmm. It has pretty much become an impersonator show. Oof! It's great for mimics. Beanie is coming in trying to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe her her voice is not a to to par or up to powerhouse standards. I don't know what it could be.
0: I don't know who could be up to that standard of Streisand, which is why you have to kind of set that to the side. Well just maybe what the EW critic is having an issue with. Well here Doing. here's the issue. Not to cast aspersions on it. You
1: person. say no one could have that kind of wow. Mm-hmm. But almost 10 years ago, maybe a little longer Originally, I believe it was Theater Mania, had run an article stating that Lady Gaga was going to be originating the role of Fanny Bryce on Broadway for that revival.
0: That would have been fantastic. And would
1: have been a powerhouse voice. Oh, God, yeah.
0: Yes. Now, I will say over the weekend or last Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there, I was listening to NPR and they had an interview or a a feature piece in the news about – this revival and, you know, a little bit of the history, how it launched Streisand and stuff. And they played a little bit of People Who Need People with from her mm-hmm. singing it. And then later on, they talked to the new director and they talked to Beanie Feldstein. And then they played a little bit of her singing People Who Need People. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was perfectly good. Perfectly fine. It wasn't, like I said before, you know, Streisand level, but I thought it was, you know, it was professional. It sounded nice. It sounded good. It sounded clean. Um, It was nothing I would ever say was cringy or like, oh my God, what were they thinking? But
1: the problem that you run into is if they are, if the center is not strong enough, that whole entire show can easily fall apart.
0: Oh, yeah. It entirely rests on that. Yeah.
1: It, it, Yeah, that's that's the issue that um, I always had with the show itself is it has this big ensemble. It has the the husband role and all that. And when it comes down to brass tacks, it's all on the shoulders of whoever's playing Fanny Mm -hmm. because no one has as much stage time as this person. I wouldn't even say the husband is really a co-lead. Mm-hmm. I would put him in a supporting
0: role. Yeah. There there are a lot of musicals where, you know, there's a couple of lead characters and if one of them's a little bit weaker than the other, you know, they still kind of make up and, you know, hold up that slack and the show still works. Mm-hmm. Um I'm really trying to rummage through my head like okay, if one person is terrible in this uh, uh it screws the whole show and the only other thing I can think of is like Annie. If if you get a bad kid actor in Annie, Everybody else around Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. Okay, yeah, Yeah. something like that. All the adult actors in the world acting their asses off aren't going to save that show if the kid is just terrible.
1: Um, I would, but but even for I would even say cabaret.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, yes, you have your MC. Yes, Mm -hmm. you have the the boyfriend or not the boyfriend. Um, her her friend. Yeah. Ooh, and the film was played by Michael York. Uh, I can't remember the character's name right now. That's why <laughs> it's, I'm... I, it's,
0: I've never seen a, a stage version of Cabaret. I don't th- recall. I have, I've seen the movie like twice, and the less, second time was years ago.
1: Yeah, I have watched uh, recordings of stage versions. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I would say that if you have a, a not great center for Cabaret, it could uh, it could fall apart on you, too.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so,
1: and, and the beauty of cabaret, despite how Liza Minnelli did it, is that your lead is actually supposed to be just kind of meh.
0: Yeah, the Sally Bowles character. Sally
1: Sally Bowles is in the in the play. She's more. She doesn't have. The the she's not supposed to have the talent chops of Liza Minnelli.
0: <laughs>
1: she's just suppo- she's supposed to be confident, but she's not supposed and she's ambitious, but she's not supposed to be talented enough.
0: Yeah, that that's always awkward when they're when your character is supposed to have skill levels. Of, at a certain level but you cast an actor or actress whose skill levels are way above that level it, it and, and try and they, to blend
1: they, the two together
0: and they won't, they won't play down to what the character is
1: I, no, I wouldn't say playing down I think what you need to do is be able to find the nuances in the performance that it will sound like you don't know what the hell you're doing whilst in fact you're imbuing it with so much power mm-hmm. it Singles out the performance. Yeah. And that is really, really fucking hard to do. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Do you think, though, if most people do hold off on doing their reviews until opening night, um, will that EW review still, that they did during previews from last night, will that still hurt it? Or do you Um, think if they manage to fix the issues or straight, you know, tighten things up and it's a much better show in a couple of weeks when it does get you know officially open will that be enough to carry the day
1: maybe if there are changes um it might work uh it also might be hey it's preview jitters it's my it's my debut on broadway i'm i'm nervous as hell and someone just wrote a bad review like there there are a million things that could have happened here um and that doesn't mean that it won't be a bad show or that she won't give a
0: fantastic performance. True.
1: And so, it might even
0: take her a week or two or three more to get comfortable.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and I don't have a problem with that, you know?
1: Yeah. And when you're doing um, long runs like that, sometimes it's it's best if you can kind of ease into it. That's what previews are for. It's for making mistakes, for fucking up, and and that is why you charge audience members a reduced
0: And and it also allows you to tweak lines and stuff too. Because there were a couple of jokes that I recall not being in the the preview that I saw of Book of Mormon that weren't there when I went back about a year later. Uh, They were just gone. And they were substituted lines. Mm. Uh, Which is fine. Keeps it fresh for the actors as well. Yeah, But Let's get on to the meat of our uh of our episode this week. Oh shit.
1: We were talking about the wrong show on Broadway then, apparently.
0: <laughs> uh well, um, we're talking about something that's had some bad reviews in the past. Um, the Fantastic Beasts franchise, our Harry Potter prequel series of films that have not seemed to gone over well with fans and with critics, still make just enough money to at least get A second sequel now.
1: Third. Second sequel. It's the second sequel, yeah. It's the Um, third film, yeah.
0: The uh, Secrets of... Dumbledore. Dumbledore, yes. You almost
1: said Grindelwald.
0: I did, because I'm still kind of stuck on that. Yeah, Yeah. Crimes of Grindelwald. The Secrets of Dumbledore. and, (sighs) Well, first of all, let's just preface this conversation by saying... There's gonna be spoilers. I'm gonna have to deal in spoilers to talk about some of this stuff.
1: I would agree.
0: Okay, so right off the top, where were you feeling? uh, I okay. Let's. let's, You want to? Before I I want to start at the end
1: of the last film, don't you?
0: (laughs) I want to start literally with us walking out of the theater. At the critics' screening for Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh,
1: I was ballsy that night.
0: Yes, you were. I was <laughs> um, on fire. We were coming out with a bunch of critics. There was also some, you know, average folk there, because it was a word-of-mouth screening as well, and the publicists uh, from the marketing firm who do, you know, that run all the stuff in our region, yeah, it was... Approached
1: of, you for a quote. kind of
0: polling the you know the critics who were there for you know for some quotes or some feedback, and, and I jumped in, and she knew me because of um, just from working with me the whole all the time. Um, I don't think she realized that you outside of being my guest at that screening were also like my podcast co-host. But yeah. the, I was trying to politely beg out because. I just didn't think uh, Crimes of Grindelwald was all that good. Uh, I was disappointed with it. I thought it was a sloppy mess. Um, slightly less sloppy than uh, the first Fantastic Beast movie. And you were far kinder than I was. And I was just in the process of just trying to be like, let me go. Let me, let me slide out of here without you know hurting anybody's feelings or anything. And you said...
1: <laughs> I have a quote for you. I think J.K. Rowling needs to go back and read her own books.
0: Yep. (laughs) And uh, I guess they didn't take it too seriously because we continue to get invites back to screenings. (laughs) But.
1: uh, You've never seen me like that. (laughs) No,
0: you were livid. I was very, very, very angry. You're a super diehard uh, Harry Potter fan,
1: though. Oh, well, there are definitely uh, more diehard fans than I.
0: Well, true, but um you're But you're, I would consider
1: myself a Potterhead. Yes. Yes.
0: You're much more of a Potter fan than I am. I like the I like the movies. I'm intrigued by the lore and the world building and I I'm fascinated by some of the uh mechanics of the wizarding world and how they relate to the mundane world and things like that. But this um just didn't feel right. It didn't feel good to me how they were doing some of this stuff um in terms of exploring these the the larger world with the character um of nude's commander. And I, I I was very disappointed with the second film because it kind of moved even further away from what the first film had promised us in a way. Do you follow what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it was definitely setting things up uh in a different light. I liked what they were doing. I liked the idea of um, starting a wizard-muggle war. I mean, that has been something that Harry Potter has really kind of delved into a lot. Was this idea of pure purebloods uh, wizards versus muggles. And whose world is it actually? And why do we have to hide? And for their sake, because muggles are idiots. Um, but they're like ants.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That and- need to be squished or conquered, and it, it felt like it was heading towards World War Two, which um, we're late twenties, probably heading towards early thirties at this point. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was a a nice, we're under ten years away mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um. But the end sequence of the last movie word is announced by Grindelwald, uh, Johnny Depp at the time, um, to a character by the name of Credence, played by Ezra Miller, that he is a Dumbledore by blood, um, and that his name is Aurelius Dumbledore. I was did I actually audibly yell what the fuck in the movie theater?
0: Um, I don't recall. And if you had, I probably would recall that. <laughs> so, um...
1: I, so, so, I might have I mumbled it under my breath.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you... How do you feel about how they further explored that with Secrets of Dumbledore?
1: Okay. Um, I... Now that I know kind of what they were getting at for this movie i feel a little bit better about it Mm -hmm. but had other elements of um that backstory with aurelius come into play if it hadn't come into play i would still be absolutely loving about it um the problem i always ran into is in harry potter and the deathly hollows there's pretty much a chapter almost a chapter and a half Mm -hmm. about Dumbledore's backstory in his relationship with Galad Grindelwald, and their um their obsession over the Deathly Hallows—the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the uh, Cloak of Invisibility, um—which were said to make one masters of death. Galat uh, a, has the Elder Wand. Yes, and we know Dumbledore obtains the Cloak of Invisibility from James Potter and he had the resurrection stone. Um but it talked about their their friendship. They never actually describe it in the books as being that they were lovers. Um yeah, but but something- it was always kind of insinuated outside of the books by J.K. Rowling. He she told us they were gay and it was they were together. But it also dealt with his family relationships with um his sister Aurelia, who is very young when she died, um, his brother Abbaforth, their mother, who was killed in an explosion of a building mm-hmm. um caused by Aurelia's magic that she couldn't control, kind of almost in the way that credence is. Um And how all three of them, meaning Grindelwald and the two Dumbledore brothers, had been in a fight that caused Aurelia's death. Like, all of that was in Deathly Hallows, but never discussed in the movies. It it was never talked about. It never went into any sort of backstory it was just like here here's Abbaforth dumbledore we're throwing him in because he actually does need to be in the in the last movie but we're not going to tell you why he's here or that he even existed prior to this
0: well that's that's part of the process of adaption though when you have oh
1: believe me i know know, i know hmm. but once we got here um and dumbledore was starting to play a, a little more of a role when he was younger and Considering the relationship between him and Grindelwald, it felt necessary that we need to see more of the Dumbledore brothers and uh, of Abbaforth. In the last movie, I was very angry at the end of the movie that um, they had introduced this, I'm going to say this, a fake Dumbledore. <laughs> a new fake Dumbledore mm-hmm. instead of actually explore the ones that already exist that got gypped in the last series.
0: Okay, that that's fair.
1: When it, he was a very integral part of that relationship, mm-hmm. that three way relationship.
0: Um, I th- I think we got a lot of him though this time around.
1: Exactly, which was nice. And had they not done that, I would still be as pissed about <laughs> the Aurelius um uh introduction,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but making it- Aberforth his father makes more sense.
0: Okay. It it did feel, as I'm thinking about it now, Think looking at how mad you were back then and everything, and how much I think it caused, you know, as a buzz within Potter fandom. It was kind of like Potter fandom's Luke, I am your father moment in Empire. And, you know. I had three years to wait <laughs> to find out if that was true or not. As that's a kid. Pretty,
1: that's pretty much what happened yeah. with us. We we had about three years to wait, but most
0: well, of us. Well, COVID is partly responsible for that. But yeah.
1: yeah, but um, we didn't take it very well because it was a slap in the face to that backstory, that wonderful, fantastic backstory that we got about mm-hmm. Dumbledore. And Grindelwald and Aberforth and Aurelia and their mother and all that. Like, that was very, very important that we see finally shown, mm-hmm. considering the story now is dealing primarily with Grindelwald and Dumbledore. Yes. So, come on. <laughs>
0: if, okay, you're fine with the revelation now because of how it was developed in this movie, correct? Yes. So if they had given some of that in the previous movie, do you think that would have allayed your fears going in? Or coming out of the second film, if you had... If
1: they had at least introduced Aberforth, just see him in mm-hmm. one scene, one little scene, mm-hmm. and that we knew that somehow there would be a chance of that story being told, we would have been able to stomach that that final reveal at the <laughs> end of Crimes of Grindelwald a little bit better.
0: Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um...
1: Um, The ending of this film where, to break that blood oath, um, when Grindelwald shoots his wand to kill and both Dumbledores raise their wands to protect. um, I thought that was a a really nice moment of, you know, Albus puts his up to defend against Grindelwald. But Aberforth is defending his son in that moment. and I think that that helps heal the wound
0: mm-hmm. um, and I th- caused by what happened to and Aurelia. I, th- I think Albus at that moment is defending his nephew. Yeah. But also he's trying to stop Grindelwald from doing something that he thinks Grindelwald will, re- um, will be remorseful about or regret later. He's like, I don't want you to be a murderer. Although I think that ship has already sailed.
1: What I see here in that moment was history repeating itself as it. That's pretty much what happened with Aurelia. Mm
0: hmm. All, okay. oh, so all three of their. Oh, so it's an echo moment. Or yeah, all three. Poetry.
1: Well, they said in the backstory there that all three of their wands went up. They couldn't tell which spell killed her. Mm hmm. So I like the idea that instead of those two firing back at Grindelwald, they were pretty much creating a shield mm-hmm. for a victim. Okay. So that so history didn't repeat itself.
0: Now part of my problem with this movie though is what you just said. A lot of backstory. A lot of explanations. A lot of yapping. Um we've got we get um some backstory and explanation about uh the Dumbledore boys. <laughs> um and by the way, that's the same painting.
1: Yeah, it is. Okay,
0: okay. It's the I same just, room I, too. Oh, okay, okay.
1: From Deathly
0: Hollows. Mm-hmm. And um, was it because I watched the first two Fantastic Beasts again right up before, you know, like in a couple of days before I went to see mm-hmm. uh, Crime or did that again? <laughs> Secrets <laughs> Do, of Dumbledore. Secrets of Dumbledore. Um, did they use the Room of Requirement in this one or the last one? This one. This one. Okay. So, yeah, so there's another, you know, Potter. Potter reference there. Uh, feels like they're trying to tie it a little bit more towards the original series. I don't know how much they can do if you know your your main story is set sixty years before uh, everything else. But
1: well, at, actually, it can get pretty pretty close because um, we're about twenty years away from Voldemort opening. Not even twenty years away from Voldemort opening Chamber of Secrets. Probably about ten years. Hmm. Um. So if, I mean, there is a possibility you can start laying things down. Mm -hmm. And Grindelwald did kind of inspire uh, Voldemort to begin with. And for all of you guys, boys and girls listening at home, (laughs) waiting for this great giant epic battle where Dumbledore and and Gellet fight to the death, you should probably know that Gellert does not die
0: canonically no he doesn't
1: no and there's actually a scene in in deathly hollows where voldemort goes to visit him to find out who has the elder wand and he's the one that tells voldemort guess what it's buried with the guy that you had murdered
0: mm. um so so where does the the franchise yeah, okay um let's set aside the fact that right now this fran- this is the cursed franchise. Um between, you know, COVID delays, J.K. Rowling's um transphobic statements on Twitter, uh Ezra Miller being a his own giant issue for two franchises at Warner Brothers right now. And um Depp. having to deal with Johnny Depp. If this franchise goes forward and the box office right now doesn't look too promising. If this franchise goes forward, do they continue to do stuff and maybe, you know, get up to that moment of Tom Riddle opening the Chamber of Secrets? How do you see these last two allegedly planned movies playing? What should they do to bring fans back? Because it doesn't seem like the fans are flocking to these films in even a small fraction of how they used to come to the Harry Potter films themselves.
1: I think they need to introduce a couple of players um, from the original story. Uh, we started to see that a little bit in this one where we got Minerva
0: McGonagall. Well, she was in the last one. Very. She got like two lines. Yeah. It was like, oh, wait, isn't that supposed to be McGonagall? And that, yeah.
1: But I would have casted someone a little bit. If they're going to expand on that role, I would have casted a bigger name. Mm-hmm. Um. The The problem you're running into right now is most of the people in the cast, and I applaud them for doing this, but it's also not a box office draw, is they were casting a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, Katherine Watterson, Eddie Redmayne are well-known. Yes. Um, Dan Fogler is well-known in certain circles.
0: <laughs> True.
1: <laughs> I love him, but he's known Yo, in cir- yeah, certain circles.
0: He's, he's wonderful. and
1: He's not exactly the biggest s- box
0: office draw. They give him so much to do here. Oh, he's, he's so, so, good. so
1: good in this. Yes. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the center of, I think, this entire franchise. Not so much Eddie Redmayne as, mm-hmm. as his muggle portrayal. What I would like to see done with this is, you and I were talking about this the other night, this film ends with finally Dan Fogler's character of uh, Jacob Kowalski marrying Queenie
0: Goldstein, who is a witch. Not Queenie Among- Feldstein, but Queenie Goldstein.
1: I said Queenie Goldstein.
0: I know. I'm just.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah calling yeah, yeah, back to be. Yeah, frank. whatever. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, who is a witch. So we are seeing one of the first major players of an inner magical. Inner inner magical.
0: Is that what we're calling it? That's what I'm going to call it. Okay.
1: Um, Marriage. And um, it was being used at the end of the movie by Grindelwald for a brief moment as this is what they want. They want us mixing. He pointed at them as if he knew that by Those two getting married, he may not even have to to make a statement. They're going to make a statement of their own. Mm -hmm. And the magical community will be up in arms about it. I think he manipulated that just right. But Uh, he's pretty much just trying to start a race war.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And, I mean, for the time period, too— that's great because you know you're in the like late 20s. This is like when the Ku Klux Klan was starting to rise in the South in yeah. the U.S. I think that's an interesting parallel. I wish the m- movie and had l- some stuff that took place in the U.S. so you could maybe see that.
1: And I love or how-
0: some more stuff like in the South of the U.S. Yeah, and I love how York in City. the
1: in the magical community, um, obviously, color and and race is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Whether you are magical or not. And how much of your your family is magical is more the issue. Yeah. Um, they have their own version of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it almost becomes a caste system for wizards and witches, too. Though. Yeah. Um, but, again, spoilers for pretty much the end of this movie. Uh, the, the plot line of Queenie going over to Grindelwald's side and coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's resolved. We have a happy ending here. For... Credence. For Credence. Um, Queenie and Jacob get married. Um, after being sidelined for the entire movie, probably because the actress said Ooh. she stood with trans people.
1: Also, um, oh, she might have been filming something else. Uh,
0: Maybe both. I'm not sure she was filming other things. Um, but, you know, she's back and she and Newt seem to look poised to continue their relationship. Everybody's kind of got a happy ending, uh, except the only loose plot thread you have is Grindelwald still out there. If they don't go forward, do you think this is a satisfactory conclusion to this arc of the movies?
1: If they decide to not go forward, they've kind of wrapped it up quite nicely here. Mm -hmm. Um, The magical community has turned its back on Grindelwald after his attempt to hoodwink them mm-hmm. um into making him the ruler of pretty much a confederation of wizards for or across oh, different the globe. wizard
0: nations which
1: yeah, is That's this, why I said confederation. Okay.
0: Is this a the first time we've seen or heard of that? Cuz I always just assumed that okay the the wizard the wizarding world's nations broke down along the same borders of non-magical nations. Yeah. So like, you know, it was just, you know, we've had the US um Congress of Magic or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, it was all just it it suddenly was like they're suddenly introducing like, you know, this other thing that's on top of that and
1: It's their version of the UN. But okay. the UN has an actual governing body.
0: Yes. And this is like somebody's going to be the head of their version of the magical UN. Yeah. Was that ever mentioned before? Is that in the books or Um, or is this just something new that was layered on?
1: The border section has been mentioned before, just like other nations have other schools. Mm -hmm. Um, The Confederation, I don't remember. I don't think it has. Or if it was, it was just kind of a brief, you know, meh and then it just continued on its own way
0: it felt it felt like uh oh there's this other thing and that's what he's gonna try to take over this time it f- it felt i don't want to say forced but it was like oh really suddenly we have this you know it, it just seemed to come I up think out of nowhere it, no,
1: i think it might have been mentioned one other place at one point um and, but and, it was never actually delved into mm-hmm. um the issue that I've always had with breaking down the borders and all that is that Voldemort was never really the biggest threat, and I've never really considered him the biggest threat in, in, comparatively to to Grindelwald. Grindelwald's uh, plans were always bigger; mm-hmm. they were they they were worldwide. Plans. Whether or not they succeeded, he definitely was thinking on a global scale. Whereas Voldemort makes everything personal. He does darker shit. <laughs> he will kill and torture and, and, oh, his, his stuff is, he is worse than Grindelwald in his crimes and his acts. Mm-hmm. But he was pretty much just. England.
0: I'm I'm pretty sure I'm recalling uh, Voldemort not really caring or probably tacitly instructing Bella uh, Bellatrix, Bellatrix to, to kill a baby at one point in the movies uh. and like the last one or the second to the last one like they had already killed the people in the house and then there's just like the baby sitting in on the floor and they both kind of come in and he walks out and you just hear a and the baby's gone and they don't say that yes she killed the baby but or was it or maybe it was in the I can't I honestly can't remember where it is now maybe it was in see between rewatching all of the Harry Potter movies just a few months ago for the 20th anniversary I don't
1: think that's in the movies at then, all
0: then maybe is it maybe in the fantastic beast movies then cuz I can't I hmm. Rats. That
1: that was in Fantastic Beast. Okay. That was in um that was in Crimes of Grindelwald. It was in one of the apartments in Paris.
0: Okay, that's it. So it all starts to mush together after a while. Oh, Unfortunately. God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: No, but mm. Bellatrix never needed really an, any prodding. <laughs> she was Cuckoo uh, for Cocoa puffs? She was his right hand. Mm-hmm. She was just as bad as she wa- as he was. But they don't work uh, she doesn't work without him. Yeah. She is, the Dark Lord is the only person that she is subservient to. Everyone else is terrified of her. And she makes it so. She is a power in her own right. Um, He, his crimes were definitely worse. But he wasn't thinking big enough because it always became very personal. It was always about him, his vision, and
0: the Potters. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, to kind of get back though to Fantastic Beasts and one of my major disappointments with this franchise. Um, yes, we discover you, we have new beasts that are introduced every every movie now, but it's not just to explore the wonder of the wizarding world. It seems like some of these new beasts and creatures are there because the plot needs them to do something for us. Um. I mean, obviously, the Niffler has hung around for a while. I and like the Niffler. He's yeah, he's a platypus with... Um, a shiny disposition. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to use a, an old Dungeons & Dragons magical item, uh, he has a bag of holding uh, for a, for his pouch. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just throw anything in there and just keeps going in there and going in there. It doesn't weigh anything. And then, of course, that.
1: we have the bow truckle.
0: Yeah. Um, but... It seems like in the last movie there was like one or two things that just kind of helped them all of a sudden that we never see again. This movie we had that thing that turned balloon into, into a Yeah it became turgible. a balloon and you know floated them away. And I guarantee you if this franchise goes forward, we're never gonna see that thing again, ever. Um it just felt like oh we need to get them here. Let's make a magic beastie to do it. I and then we had I would actually had,
1: have to pull out my copy of Fantastic Beasts and go through them. It, they might not have It co- might
0: actually be in, in in the book.
1: The book is not an actual like novel. Yeah, I know, I know, it, I know it's encyclopedia. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's
0: a, you, know, it's a fa- you know, fictional encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. Like it
1: might be in there.
0: Like those Star Trek Ship of the Line books and yeah. stuff like that. And I understand that. And that's the but. thing
1: is most of those um I would have to go back and actually look Mm -hmm. in the book and see if those things are in there or not.
0: And and if they are, that's fair. But I'm looking at it as a, um, you know, just from a movie standpoint, it feels like very convenient that certain things show up that they can use. Um, And we also have the magical deer horse thing that shows who has the purest heart. And that's how they vote for the president of this confederation. Mm -hmm. And – I hate to say it, but... Jillian, yeah. I hate to say it, but... Polit- this level of how they portray the Don't politics- go Phantom Menace,
1: please. Uh,
0: okay. You were about
1: to compare it to Phantom Menace. I was going to say, I- this oh, is
0: about God. as exciting as the taxation of trade routes.
1: <laughs> I like the taxation of trade routes. That was actually... <laughs> that was the best part of that film for me.
0: Oh, you are a nerd, my dear. <laughs> Um, it it just seems like an odd thing to hang the film on ultimately, um, and well, n-
1: no, I think I think it's a very valid point to have in a story, particularly one aimed at kids, is this idea of having a pure heart of being kind of being gentle. Mm-hmm. That even in politics, sometimes your greatest leaders are obviously the ones who are the most uncorrupt. Um, I like the idea of it trying for a new generation, given our current climate in the past few years, to kind of instill a bit of hope in our governing bodies.
0: Mm -hmm. That's, that's fair. Okay. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. It's just that I love like layered political discussions and stuff like that, you know, scooped into a movie because, you know politics are a thing in the real world why not in your fantasy worlds as well they're going to move you know everything is politics really but here i was just kind of like i I just wasn't for whatever reason it just didn't click with me and i felt also i felt the ending just kind of drug on and on and on and on once they get to you know once they start going up this uh, the hill up... In Bhutan. Earth, all the, yeah, up all the steps to the top of the, the temple or whatever. And there's parts where we see, like, Newt running up those steps to stop something. And I'm like, how come no one seems to see him? Because this looks like a lone, crazy person barging into something. And why aren't there any guards? Why, why, why is he allowed to run like this? There was... There's a lot of things that I was just like, this, this this needs another polish. This needs a little bit more of a wreath of a think through on some of these things on how this all plays out. Um now granted, this script is so much better than the last two.
1: Steve Clovis.
0: Yes, yeah, Steve Clovis, who adapted seven of the eight movies mm-hmm. of the main Potter franchise. I'd, I'd love to see the original script that Rowling turned in versus what they shot. I'd love to sit there and just do a page-by-page page comparison um, to see exactly what he brought, because I think it's probably really fantastic what he brought, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> fantastic.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: but I need to talk about something that we have not even touched upon. Oh. I don't even think we've mentioned their name. Okay, go. Maz Mickelson.
0: Mad's Mikkelsen. You,
1: we haven't even oh, said his goodness. name once on this How podcast.:
0: Fucking wonderful is he as Grindevald the, the replacement for Johnny Depp.
1: Oh my god i I, I liked Johnny Depp as grindndavald i I didn't think it was his greatest performance, but it felt nice that I could actually see Johnny Depp giving a performance instead of his makeup giving a performance for once.
0: <laughs> you see, I thought Depp was a little too arch um not quite super self-conscious that I am playing the bad guy but he felt like I'm the bad guy for here the, I felt for the
1: first two films th- yeah. I feel like that's what was needed but once you get into this story you needed something more layered
0: yes you definitely Mads Mikkelsen definitely brings it because this is much more about the character, yeah. of Grindelwald. He's he's not as I referred to him recently, either here or when I was uh, guest hosting over on um, Loud and Nerdy. He's not uh, Magic Hitler this time around. <laughs> um, he's actually, you know, a much layered character, and I like that. And Mads brings it. Him it, and that, Jude are perfect. for scene together is amazing. amazing. It, I think the first scene is so good, it kind of, the rest of the movie does suffer in comparison. I would agree with you, actually. <laughs> I was blown
1: away by that opening mm-hmm. sequence. When I- he shows up and turns and looks at Jude Law for the first time, it was almost like that – there was a twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and that, a pain.
0: Hmm. There, there was a lot said without words in that sequence. I know. And – it was one of those things. I'm sitting there in the theater, going, "Oh my god, why are people sleeping on this movie?" I understand, you know, you know, being upset with Rowling and the Ezra Miller and uh, Johnny Depp of it all, but oh my god, this scene is. And then the rest of the movie was that yeah, was okay, but <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't as good as that that opening sequence and that opening if this movie, sequence if, was if, oh if it my caused god. Warner Brothers two hundred million dollars just for that opening sequence. I'm fine with that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, It's, uh, you know, and it's a shame that, you know, it was just so good out of the gate that it had no choice but to stumble. It wasn't going to sustain. Um,
1: But it was was a great way to kind of open the film and get people hooked, mm -hmm. thinking that it was going to be better than what it was. This movie is good. Is definitely the better of the two films that I saw that day in the theater, (laughs) (laughs) as I saw Morbius um, that morning. And as much as I will say this really quick, Jared Leto and Matt Smith in the first half of the film feels like Mads and Jude here
0: in that first scene. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then the second film, uh, second half of the film of Morbius, goes so far deep down into the shitter. It just can't recover. Here, this one only stumbles and falls to its knees. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go straight down the hill.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, this I'm mean, ultimately though, fan, uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of uh, Dumbledore, is still just slightly worse than the worst of the Harry Potter films. Whichever Harry Potter film you don't like – the most or which you ever you don't like the least or you like the least um this is still going to be below that
1: i actually don't think there really is a bad harry potter film
0: i don't think so either <laughs> but um there are some that are definitely much better than others i think the first two and i've said this before
1: which is interesting considering the first two have the most amount of academy award nominations to its name
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah i know this is my my th- feelings here fly in the face. No, of that. no,
1: with but, three, that's when it got an energy
0: to it. Yeah. The first two I think are very They're for children. Or uh, almost too reverential to the books. Yeah. And they they don't allow themselves to flex and be movies telling the same story. Um so that's that's my problem that's my beef with the first two. If I was to just rewatch a Harry Potter movie um just for the heck of it, I had a you know, rainy Sunday afternoon. It wouldn't be the first two. I'd probably pick up with either three or four.
1: I think um, the first two are great for the holiday season. It, there's something about it, it does make it feel like it's good for like
0: Yeah it, it, for, the, the holiday It does feel holiday ish for some reason. Yeah. But but even though even though Secrets of Dumbledore is the best of the Fantastic Beast movies, I'd still put it a little bit below. The first two Harry Potter movies, which I feel are subjectively the worst of that part of the franchise, even though they're still eh, fairly good movies.
1: I have to ask you a question. Um, Okay. Consider, and I think I asked you this same question when the last movie came out. (laughs) But now that we've seen how the character develops, Mm -hmm. do you think Jude Law is playing a good Dumbledore? He's the only character from. The Harry Potter franchise that has a very large role in this one. Yes. So
0: We have 60 years from the point where Jude Law's Dumbledore is to the beginning of the Harry Potter films. Um, That's a lot of room for growth and change. However, I can see the Dumbledore that we are familiar with from the Harry Potter films within his performance.
1: He's got a twinkle.
0: He's got a little bit of a twinkle. Uh, An earnestness. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Faith. He has faith in the goodness of people, which which I think is very important uh, because that comes into play very much in the Harry Potter films um, or books, too. I
1: love that he is very honest right out of the gate. I need you to trust me even when every instinct tells you not to. Mm -hmm. That is something I think that even in the Harry Potter franchise has always been prevalent um that people will blindly follow him because his nature is it's not just powerful it is a force for good and and change mm. in the world
0: yeah and and uh, we can see in both well three versions of the character cuz <laughs> there is two actors who yeah. played uh who played Dumbledore um in Harry Potter that you know they're still carrying even though he got some sort of closure in this movie he's still carrying that that pain of losing his sister of not having a good relationship with his brother and the star-crossed lovers <laughs> yeah and ultimately you know how things unfortunately fell apart with his relationship with grendel and even with all of that he still remains positive and forward looking that moment where the
1: chillin bows before him and he kneels down to it
0: and <laughs> he's like nope <laughs> he, n-
1: well, yeah, he says no um but I think he also realizes that he doesn't desire power almost in the way that if Gandalf had the one ring. It wouldn't be good. Mm-hmm. It, it it would corrupt him, and he. I think that is a fear of his that drives his goodness.
0: Mm-hmm. I I don't think if he were in that position, though, he would allow himself to be corrupted. At worst, I would see him possibly paralyzed at points as to what to do, because he's trying to avoid being corrupted. And he might even be afraid of that as well.
1: I I think Judah's um portrayal in this is
0: just uh,
1: this is this is gonna be a rough thing to say considering it's the film itself. I think it's one of the best uh performances he's given in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, King Arthur didn't do it. Uh, Sherlock Holmes (laughs) didn't do it.
0: Um, I I like him in Sherlock Holmes, but it's not a big performance role. No, no, no.
1: Um, Like, he's been so attached to these big blockbusters that are not exactly the most character-driven aspects. I mean, Captain Marvel, no. Um, Anna Karen... Anna Karenina, back in 2012, was like the last character-based role I saw him do. But that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed that between him and Mads, they just brought a next level to the performances in this film. And I feel, I feel terrible for Eddie Redmayne. He gets himself uh, an Oscar – Ends up in a nomination the next year for The Danish Girl. Mm -hmm. Book's Fantastic Beasts is his first headlining, you know, franchise. And now he's just kind of stuck in it. He didn't do anything for a little while. And um, (laughs) he was just in Cabaret as the MC in the West End. But it was a limited run, him and Jesse Buckley together. He's kind of just so strapped into fantastic beasts right now he really hasn't been able to do much of anything else, mm. and I think it's going to hurt him.
0: Well, like I said before, the box office on this, you know we're now you know, we're late to review this, so it's about ten, we're about 10 days out from the release of this film, and it's not looking great. it's looking better overseas, but it's not looking great here in the us. And Warners hasn't given the go ahead for four and five yet. Um, so like I said before though, maybe this is the conclusion of this thing, because hey, most people do have a happy ending here, and you just have the one major plot thread hanging. But that can be addressed elsewhere, or maybe never again, because we sort of know what happens ultimately to <laughs> Grindelwald to begin with. That he
1: I mean, yeah. Winds
0: up arrested and um tossed in the uh, the who's cow.
1: Well, there was there was talks of a potential um, Potter spinoff series for HBO Max at one point. Mm-hmm. If they decide to end it here and then try to continue with something maybe 10, 12 years from now, maybe uh, right during World War II, but make that for the for television instead, it might do better. Maybe. Because then we could see that his plans to create a, a war happen within a war.
0: Mm-hmm. Um using World War II as cover to start his own war against uh the muggles manipulating, you know, countries yeah. into well, if I can get them just to exterminate themselves, it's a whole lot easier.
1: Yeah, and it would also add in the um the extra level of um Voldemort being at school right around the, right around the same time or a little bit after, mm-hmm. um, so of course he would be very much aware of the tactics of Grindelwald and he would already be formulating his own plan within himself. Um, I I think I would really like to see that development because in the books um, there were a lot more scenes going back in time discussing the horcruxes he went after like we see him at a an old lady's house um kind of taking care of her but in truth he's going after the the cup of helga hufflepuff that she holds (laughs) so we know she's gonna have dead
0: (laughs) um yeah i mean like i said there's a lot to explore i would be welcome to seeing more uh of that exploration um, Warners has a lot of difficult decisions, uh, ahead of themselves to, um,
1: I'd like to see a, a show about, um, the Marauders. So young Remus, James, Lily, Severus, uh, Peter, Peter and Sirius mm-hmm. from their time at school. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to see the development of the death eaters, uh, and how they were, you know, brought over to the Dark Lord side. I think it would be interesting to see Voldemort's uh, young age finally portrayed up on the the screen and how he may have taken some of the teachings of Galette Grindelwald and utilized those for his mm-hmm. grand plans. Yep.
0: Lots, lots of potential there. Hopefully, uh, Warners will be able to develop it uh, in ways that will uh, excite more of the fan base.
1: We will be seeing in hopefully the next few weeks. We'll hear an announcement either way.
0: True. But I think that about wraps us up, though, for this week.
1: Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe.
0: And if you like what you're listening, feel free to give us a positive review because that always helps us connect with more listeners. We'll be back next week with more news and reviews
1: and that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast
0: I never believed in things that I couldn't see I said if I can't feel it then how could it be no no magic could happen to me and then I saw you I couldn't believe it you took my heart I couldn't retrieve it said to myself